Why is plasma zinc still the best marker of zinc status, despite the fact that it can be impacted by other things, doesn't correlate well with dietary zinc intake, and sometimes just keeps going down when I supplement with more and more? This is a clip from a live Q&A session open to CMJ Masterpass members. In addition to this episode, you can access lots of other free samples from these sessions at the first link in the description. I would summarize RB's question as, when does plasma zinc fall as a marker of zinc status and what is the best alternative? And she links to several articles that suggest that plasma zinc is not correlated with zinc intake and fluctuates a lot and that there's a lack of consistency with zinc intake below the RDA being a risk factor for low plasma zinc. And then she goes on to tell her own story about how she was supplementing with more and more zinc and her plasma zinc kept falling lower and lower. All right, so let me let me first just make the case for plasma zinc as what I will now defend as the best hands-down marker of zinc status, despite its limitations. So at this point, I want to just back up and talk about what happens when we're in a zinc deficiency. So what happens, and there were, there were classical zinc depletion experiments that came out of Janet King's lab in UC Berkeley and earlier from Ananda Prasad, who was involved in the first discovery of zinc deficiency. So Ananda Prasad and Janet King are like titans in the world of zinc research. They're like the titans in the world of zinc research, in my view. Uh, at least from a, from a clinical zinc deficiency perspective, they are, they are the titans. So uh, King's experiment... And her 1990 review assessment of zinc status covers these as a broad overview, and I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes. And I think it's, it's you know, it was written in 32 years ago, but because of its coverage of the classic zinc deficiency experiments, uh, it is not outdated even today. Okay, so what we know is that in marginal deficiency, the Zinc concentration of everything stays the same because growth and excretion will stop. So if you have a child who is zinc deficient, they don't have their anything zinc drop because they stop growing. And so how do you know if a child is zinc deficient? You know it because they're below the they're below the normal growth curve. And you validate it by seeing if giving them five milligrams of zinc causes their growth to shoot up. So if you have a child who's not on the growth curve and you don't do that, that's clinical malfeasance. That's malpractice. Because there's a very good chance that giving them five milligrams of zinc would normalize their growth and the only way you'd know it is to give them five milligrams of zinc and see if it normalizes their growth, which has zero risk to it, right? Okay, 
So now you take an adult who is zinc deficient. Well, we're not growing, so we can't stop growing. But what do we do? Our hair stops growing. And we urinate zinc into our urine, and we stop doing that. So hair zinc is useless as a marker of zinc deficiency because you do not drop your hair zinc concentration, you stop growing your hair. If you're a bodybuilder, you're going to have trouble putting on lean mass. But although you can't grow, you'll lose lean mass and it will take you more food to keep your body weight. But that body weight will have lean mass replaced by fat if you eat enough. Okay, now if zinc deficiency progresses far enough that stopping growth and stopping excretion cannot keep zinc homeostasis regulated with steady zinc concentrations in all the tissues, then what happens is you start reapportioning zinc to some tissues versus others. In particular, your muscle zinc goes up, your skin zinc goes up, your liver zinc goes down, your bone zinc goes down, and your plasma zinc goes down. Now, plasma zinc is thought to be the circulating portion of the exchangeable zinc pool. And that appears to be in continuity with liver zinc and with bone zinc. And it is through plasma that zinc gets out of liver and bone and into muscle and skin during deficiency. Now, when you don't see these alterations in tissue concentrations because you're in zinc balance and in zinc homeostasis, the plasma still is the exchangeable zinc pool because now as you turn over long, slowly turning over proteins that have zinc in them, the zinc escapes and gets reapportioned to a new zinc protein. And it does that through the plasma zinc. So the plasma zinc is the circulating measurable portion of the exchangeable zinc pool, which is the active exchanging zinc, both in homeostasis and in deficiency and in supplementation. Whereas all this, most of the whole body zinc is tied up and not exchangeable and not measurable and not responsive to deficiency. Now, if we look at depletion-repletion studies and we look at supplementation studies, we have a beautiful 2009 meta-analysis that is still up to date that pulls together 35 zinc supplementation trials, pulls together 11 depletion-repletion trials, and shows that the only marker that is very well tested across many studies and consistently responsive to depletion, to repletion and supplementation is plasma zinc. In addition to that, a smaller number of studies show that urine zinc is responsive. And if you go back to the depletion-repletion studies, what they show is, at least in a quick, profound depletion, urine zinc will decline very rapidly before plasma zinc does. 
Ananda Prasad, and that was from Janet King's research, Ananda Prasad did earlier studies showing that if you have a real slow uh, decrement in zinc, so instead of, instead of like 10 weeks on a zero, almost zero zinc diet, you have like three milligrams of zinc for a couple of years. His study suggests that urine is not that sensitive and you have this slow drift of plasma zinc down. Um, you know, but it's not like there's a huge body of depletion repletion studies. So we can't make huge rules and and say when you do it quickly, this happens, when you do it not quickly, that happens. But it, in a in a very marginal deficit, it may not be the case that urine zinc is more sensitive and responds quicker. But generally, it seems to be the case that urine zinc is more sensitive and responds quicker than plasma zinc. And that's consistent with what we know about the principles of the descent, the slow descent into zinc deficiency, which is your first adaptation is for your hair to stop growing and your urine zinc to decline. And that will is what will prevent tissue stores in your liver, bone, and plasma from declining. Now, in these zinc uh, depletion repletion studies, the other thing we know about uh, plasma zinc is that it's a very good predictor of the degree of clinical deficiency based on symptoms. So in, uh, in, in these depletion repletion experiments, We have the most common symptoms being skin problems, and they can range from small patches of dry skin or rough skin to severe acne. And then we have diarrhea, sore throat, poor appetite, a shift from a shift from lean mass to fat mass if you eat enough to stay the same weight but a an increase in the food you need to stay that weight and then we also have some things like uh loss of glucose tolerance and so we we don't have them all the all these markers stay in the normal range, but we have drops in albumin, retinol binding protein, lactate dehydrogenase, delta amino levolinic acid, which is involved in in red heme heme uh, heme and red blood cell synthesis, and uric acid go down. And an oral glucose tolerance test, your performance on it goes down, but nothing goes out of range. Now, if you look at Janet King's depletion-repletion studies, they show that the amount of zinc lost as all those clinical symptoms set in is only 5% of the whole body zinc. And Ananda Prasad's uh, depletion-repletion studies suggested that that um, 25% of the whole body pool could be lost over 24 weeks of a much more marginal deficit, although he did it at a time where the zinc measurement, the whole body zinc measurement might have been less accurate. So it's not quite certain that 
that that's the case. So, but we can at least say that the amount of zinc you need to lose from Janet King's depletion repletion studies to have all these clinical symptoms is only 5% of the whole body zinc. And the plasma zinc, though, goes down, uh, I believe it was 45%. 65% for plasma zinc, it can go down. Right? So you have this... So first of all, why is, why is it so disproportionate? Why is it only 5% of whole body zinc going down? Because most of the zinc in the body doesn't... It's just staying the same no matter what you do. Right? It's just in these slow-moving proteins, and it's not what's driving clinical symptoms of zinc deficiency, and it's not part, it's not measurable in an easy way, and it's not part of what's dynamic. The plasma zinc is the central component of what is dynamically shifting around, and it's exquisitely sensitive to the clinical symptoms of zinc deficiency in a way that whole body zinc isn't. Whole body zinc only goes down 5% in these clinical deficiency. Um, so, you know, it can go down a lot more than that. So for example, I've seen a study of smell and taste dysfunction where people had a 30% deficit in whole body zinc. So I'm not saying it can't go lower than that. I'm just saying it doesn't have to go and it doesn't have to go further than 5% of whole body zinc for you to get sore throat, diarrhea, glucose intolerance, dry skin, severe acne, et cetera. Um, now, that's not to say plasma zinc is perfect. So we also know, and I covered this years ago in my Mastering Nutrition episode 28, why you should manage your zinc status and how to do it. And we also know that plasma zinc is, is decreased by a meal, probably because in the fasting state, tissue catabolism is releasing stored zinc. And it's decreased by inflammation, oxidative stress, the ovulatory and luteal phases of the menstrual cycle, probably by pregnancy and oral contraceptive use, and any kind of stress that leads to adrenal output. Now, Janet King suggested that you could use plasma metallothionine as an index of whether that stress response is activated, but I don't know anyone who offers a plasma methionine test. I can tell you that red blood cell metallothionine is not useful in this way. Um... It's although Janet King suggested that you could differentiate between the stress response by looking at red blood cell metallothionine, which should go down only in zinc deficiency and not in a stress response, and plasma metallothionine, which should go up in a stress response. And she said if you measure plasma zinc, plasma metallothionine, and red blood cell metallothionine, then you can know if plasma zinc is down because of zinc deficiency or because of a stress response. Um. But I don't know. I don't. LabCorp and Quest don't offer metallothionine tests, so I don't know where you get this outside of a research uh, lab. So that's not useful. Um, but now, usually, when when plasma zinc goes down because of the stress response, it's with the exception of eating, right? For every other reason that plasma zinc goes down except the stress response, it seems to be a reapportioning of zinc into tissues that need it. So it's not obvious that if your plasma zinc goes down because of a stress response, that the choice is to not replete the zinc. It's going down because it, the zinc's being sucked up into tissues that need it. So that might still be a case where you do want to correct the plasma zinc anyway. Um, you know, but these studies that show that 
dietary intake isn't well reflected in, in plasma zinc. I mean, that's a, I wouldn't expect it to be, right? Because there are so many other factors, especially phytate, but also animal protein intake that bring a zinc absorption up and down. But B, you're not trying to estimate your dietary intake with your plasma zinc. You can know your dietary intake based on your diet. So if you're doing a study where you're trying to know people's food frequency questionnaire is accurate to use plasma zinc to corroborate their zinc intake, then you can't do that because it doesn't correlate with zinc intake on a food frequency questionnaire. If it did, you could use that to validate the FFQ. But as a for a clinical use, who cares? You don't need, for you as a person, you don't need to estimate your dietary zinc intake with your plasma zinc. You already know your dietary zinc intake. Or if you don't, you can just calculate it based on what you're eating. So that we don't care about that. Um, you know, across all the supplementation trial trials pooled, what they show is that every doubling of zinc intake from a supplement increases plasma zinc 6%. That's not really clinically useful to know either, but it does show you that in deficiency and supplementation, plasma zinc goes up. Um, you know, but you don't need to know if you're supplementing with your plasma zinc because you know you took the supplement. So the real reason you want to know your plasma zinc is because you want to know if you are of a status that your nutrition, your zinc nutrition could be contributing to your clinical symptoms or that you're at risk of that. And what, what the depletion repletion studies show is that once you get down to 70 on plasma zinc, that's where all the symptoms show up. So plasma zinc is an exquisitely excellent index of whether zinc nutrition status has declined to the point where clinical symptoms are at risk, which is the main utility of it in a clinical scenario or for managing personal nutrition. Now, Arby also had the, the story of how she kept increasing her zinc supplementation and plasma zinc kept going down. But she's also talking about having SIBO and SIBO causes inflammation and inflammation decreases plasma zinc. So there might be a very easy explanation here with the inflammation. And that doesn't mean that you don't want to um, restore the plasma zinc. Maybe you need to because the inflammation is increasing your need for zinc, and that's why the plasma zinc is going down. But as to your question, RB, about what you know, how do you better navigate this? I think you look at urine zinc, and I think in this case it would be useful to look at hair zinc because hair zinc does not go down in deficiency, but it goes up in supplementation. And if your supplementation is, if it's if your plasma zinc looks like it's not being corrected, but you're worried that you have too much zinc going somewhere, it might increase your hair zinc. So it, it might be worth looking at that. But urine zinc, you know, if your plasma zinc is low and your urine zinc is low, then you're probably not absorbing that zinc. And you need to do something about that. You need to either change the form of zinc you're using. You know, if you're using an amino acid chelate, try something else. Try a salt. If you're using a salt, try an amino an amino acid chelate. If you try, if you're using gluconate, try acetate. If you're using acetate, try citrate. If you're using glycinate, try methionine. If you're using methionine, try glycinate. Right. So just try, just use a different form or a higher dose, or you know, with a carnivore meal 
or in the fasting state or whatever, alter these, increase the dose, whatever it is, to see if you can up your plasma zinc given the low urinary zinc. If your urinary zinc is real high and your plasma zinc is low, then you're clearly absorbing it, whether it's all going into the urine or just all going out of the plasma into everywhere else, I wouldn't know for sure. But I think the rest you address with symptoms, right? So go back to the children who are off, off the growth curve. How do you test whether they're off the growth curve because, because of zinc? You give them five milligrams of zinc, and if they go back on the growth curve, they had zinc deficiency, right? So if you have symptoms that are zinc responsive, then you need to use that as an independent validation of the zinc deficiency apart from these other things. But you're telling me that if you take too much zinc, you get insomnia. I would want to know, does that only happen if you take the zinc at night? Or do you have increasing insomnia every night if you continually take zinc every morning? If it's a zinc at night thing, then I would say, you know, take the zinc in the morning. Don't take it at night. But if it's, you know, if it's taking it in the morning is increasing your insomnia more and more as time goes on, I mean, that suggests zinc is building up somewhere that's causing insomnia. And so you drop the zinc, right? If you're not getting relief from any symptoms and you can't get a clear picture from the markers, you, you have to go on the symptoms if, you, if, the, if the markers don't make sense. But in what RB says in, in her outline, I think this could easily be explained by inflammation Tacking, uh, uh, t taxing the plasma zinc, that that means that you should supplement with zinc to try to bring it up back to normal, but you should cut back if you're experiencing adverse effects such as insomnia. I think hair zinc and urine zinc are probably your best bets for something you could measure given that we can't access plasma and red blood cell metallothionine tests. All right, thank you, RB, for your question. That this is a clip from a live Q&A session open to CMJ Masterpass members. In addition to this episode, you can access lots of other free samples from these sessions at the first link in the description. If you want to become a MasterPass member so that you can participate in the next live Q&A, or so that you can have access to the complete recording and transcript of each Q&A session, you can join at chrismasterjohnphd.com masterpass. You can save 10% off the subscription price for as long as you remain a member by signing up at chrismasterjohnphd.substack.com slash Q&A. That's Q&A spelled out as Q-A-N-D-A. These links are in the description.